So the big question is, how can UX professionals and creative entrepreneurs like us, who are tired of working for companies with little to no UX culture and who are willing to invest their time, skills, and energy to build products and companies that matter, how can we take our passion for design and solving problems to launch our own profitable business and live life on our terms? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. Join me and follow along as I learn, apply, and share the latest strategies at the intersection of UX, business, and personal development. My name is Joel Mina, and welcome to UX Pro to CEO. Hello and welcome. You made it. Episode two. Welcome back. We cover a few topics on episode one. If you haven't listened to it, I recommend you go back. So I want to take first a moment to build upon some of the thoughts and concepts that I share with you. If you remember, you know, the experience of feeling trapped in your cubicle. And so the question that I ask at that point is the same one that I had you ask at the end of last episode. What is the story that you keep telling yourself as to why you haven't achieved what you want in life? I had this limiting belief around time and making excuses as to why I wasn't building the company that I wanted to build. When you have this limiting beliefs that how are you supposed to do that if you're working full time? How am I supposed to do that if there's really no one else who has done it? I remember when I wrote it down, when I made it real, and there's something to be said about the connection you know, between your mind and the, the physical touch. Once I was able to materialize that excuse, and, and that's really what it was at the time. I remember the first time I was like, oh, that's not really true. Or, you know, you go into this sense of denial, right? As to immediately you want to justify that. And I think that's one of the biggest cues when you go through this process of awareness. One of the things that kept coming back, it was this concept around time. And it was this concept around schedules. And the answer that came out of it, it was, I need to be able to work on my terms. I need to be able to control my own schedule. And that was the beginning of me going out of my typical daily routine and start looking for different opportunities. I remember I got a call from a colleague of mine and he basically says, hey man, what are you up to? I kind of told him what I was working on and he said, hey, you know, I have this, this company that's looking for someone who uh, can come in and help run product. And I told him, you know, I'm not really looking, but he was like, you should really talk to them. And so I agreed. I ended up taking them up on the offer, put my two weeks. And at the time, it felt like a, like a breath of fresh air. Perhaps the part that I was most excited about is the flexibility and schedule that it offered. Now, mind you, that doesn't happen by chance. As I look back at that, had I not gone through this process of realizing what was important to me, I never would have been able to consider those options, more or less start a new chapter in my career. A chapter that would lead me to working with any number of entrepreneurs, shifting gears entirely, looking at a much more nimble approach and realizing that you're finding a better fit. And I know sometimes that can be overstated, especially when you're talking with recruiters or you're looking for different opportunities. Everyone talks about like, is this a good fit? Well, if you don't know who you are to begin with, how are you going to know if that's a good fit, <laughs> right? And it starts with taking stock, as I mentioned in the first episode of, what it is that's important to you. So that level of awareness of just knowing that, hey, it's freedom and schedules is a must. And I'm no longer going to compromise or I'm no longer going to entertain any career opportunities that don't give me that freedom. Now, that might take you five, six, 10 years to get to the point of reaching that conviction. But once you know that that's the case, then it makes it much easier to identify those opportunities that you can be successful in. So fast forward now, several months, and I'm finding myself not only being more productive, but 
being more fulfilled at the time and be able to actually go from not just running design or creative direction, but start stepping into more of a real partner with all these different companies and startups that required somewhat with my skill set to be able to drive not just product, but strategy and business. And so that was a thing that transitioned from one of a UX designer to one of a UX strategist. And had I done that before? Of course, right? I had always kind of drove strategy, but it was usually behind the scenes. I would do the work and just not get paid for the work, <laughs> right? How many of us have done that where, you know, you're looking at, hey, what's the end product? And most clients or, you know, your, your superiors in whatever company environment you may be in only see the finished product, but they don't really see all the different versions and the strategy and everything else that goes into that. I'm reminded of, you know, several agencies that I was working at where essentially it was just about, you know, creating the mock-ups because that was what they wanted to present early in my career where I wasn't even in those meetings. And so you would normally get everything back and it would be marked up with all these changes. And it was everything that us as designers, and I know if you're listening to me, if you come, especially from a a visual design or UI background, is this whole concept of mock-up revisions, which we all kind of dread. But if you're not there to defend your designs and to realize, hey, why did I make that decision? Why did I put this thing here? Or what's going to make the most sense? Those are the things that over time, and as you kind of develop in your creative or design career, you start to realize that it's as important to understand the thought process behind the products and services that we put out there as it is the actual final aesthetics. And so this opportunity, I was grateful at the time that it really put me in a position to make those decisions uh, as I was co-founding right, or co-building all of these companies simultaneously. Now, the downside, which I would learn later, was that I was doing that across one, then two, then three. And before I knew it, I was responsible for six projects or companies that we needed to launch and, and bring to market. And I felt not only a huge responsibility, but as you can imagine, it was a huge sense of overwhelm. And you get to a point where you feel like you're constantly growing and evolving and, and improving on those skills up until the point that you realize that you probably have too much on your plate. As those of us who tend to be more either type A or overachievers, that's not something that you want to communicate. And so therefore, you end up sacrificing the other areas outside of your career. And guess what happens? Family, friendships, and all these other things that are you know, so important to having, I wouldn't say balance, but an integrated life, really start to take its toll. And through that process, I started implementing every strategy I could right, to be more efficient and to be more productive in terms of all the different areas and projects that I was managing simultaneously. And not only does that lead to burnout, but you start to look at how those strategies start to fall short when it comes down to really driving a project forward. And one constant that I kept coming back to was that regardless of what project or what stage, there was always certain points friction when it came from one phase to the next, whether that was the way that we communicated research into product, or that was the way that we communicated product into engineering, or the way that was actually brought from engineering into production and then eventually into a launch. And as I started to look at things more holistically and realizing what were the patterns that were emerging across all these different startups, I realized that the common denominator as to what work was being done at a high level and what work was essentially stifled, there was really two factors. One was leadership, and the other one was culture. And 
those were the things that I could clearly see how one founder with a so-so team could do amazing things and how another founder with perhaps the same resources, but not the same level of leadership or being able to inspire their team kept struggling. And that was, I think, the first aha moment that I started to see the importance that human dynamics play in any startup and more or less in any company. But it will take a little bit of time to understand at a deep level. And so when you're working with all these companies, you're bound to basically hit a wall. And to me, that happened in the form of a design sprint that I was running. I had literally gone through the same process, same frameworks, and everything that I had done in previous projects. But for some reason, I was having such a hard time connecting. The frameworks were there, the specific schedules and the activities that we were running. And it seemed like the more that I kept feeling that disconnect with the stakeholders and you know, the, the team that I was working with or trying to lead, the more disconnected I felt. How many of us have been there where you're literally pulling strategies out of your bag, <laughs> design thinking and this other strategy and let me do this whiteboarding session and this other exercise. And yes, I know some of you who basically run workshops are looking at me like, whoa, Joel, that's because you weren't doing it you know, in the right sequence. I get it, right? But there's, there's something to be said once you start looking at literally the same process that you've ran with a company before, that when you apply those same principles, whether that's you know, in a different industry or perhaps just a different dynamics or culture, you just don't have the same results. And that's when I started to realize that there was something else at play here, that it wasn't just about my ability to execute a framework or my ability to essentially build a product. And to be honest, we ended up building the prototype and going through all the stages of a design sprint. And for those of you who perhaps are not familiar with a design sprint, it's a, a very specific framework that you run, whether that's a three-day or a five-day sprint. And at the end of it, you end up with the prototype. Well, I'll tell you what, we ended up with a prototype, but I felt like I kept working so much harder to get to that point. And quite frankly, I kept getting the sense that it didn't matter what prototype I would put together, it wasn't going to be adopted in the way that it needed to. And guess what? I was right. All those efforts to leverage all the strategies and tactics that we had been working on for the past several days to end up with a deliverable, which is a prototype that we can then test, none of that mattered. Because at the core, I realized that there was something deeper at play. What was the purpose as to why we we're building that technology? What were those core drivers that we needed to align as a company? Those are the types of things that become much harder to identify. Now, how I got to this level of awareness was that several months prior, I had attended a workshop where a coach had come in and talked to us around not only communication, but reaching deeper levels of empathy. As a creative professional or a UX professional, we know all about empathy, right? <laughs> so at the time, I just dismissed it. And it wasn't until the strategies and tactics that I had used prior with success failed miserably that it forced me to take a second look at coaching and go outside of UX to see what was really happening. I remember reaching out to her and asking her specifically, what were some things that I could implement in my practice? At the time, it felt somewhat uncomfortable because I thought I knew what I was doing. But you know, having that level of humbleness sometimes to realize that, A, you don't know everything. And if I kept going on the same path of just becoming a facilitator and not really understanding what was happening underneath the surface, I was going to keep getting the same results. I remember she was kind enough to share with me some of those insights as to how she had gotten started and what were some disciplines and things that I could implement, not just in my UX practice, but in business and in life. And that realization that coaching could really provide a different lens in terms of how I was looking at not only my career, but the way that I communicated with people 
and really understood what was at the core of human behavior. The more I researched on the topic, the more I became fascinated by everything that it could open up in my practice. And so in the middle of all these organized chaos and projects, I got the crazy idea of actually going back to school. Because, you know, what else are you going to do when you literally have zero time left? And although at the time it seemed like a horrible idea, there was something inside of me that told me that that was the right path. Had it not been for those years prior that I started to at least create that sense of internal awareness of what was it that I needed to do for myself before I could do for anyone else, that it was almost like muscle memory of taking action when it feels uncomfortable. I was kind of wrestling with when I was going to do that. And I was driving down to a friend's house and it had been a tough week. I had gone through any number of meetings and we were behind on a few projects. And definitely this was one of those weekends where you just want to take a break and forget about everything at the office. And usually what I do is I'll listen to audiobooks anytime I'm in my commute. And I have probably listened to this audiobook several times before, but the author said, if you can't, you must. Now, I had probably listened to that same piece of advice half a dozen times, but for some reason, this resonated. And this made me feel that I just needed to take action. That internal awareness that I had developed from prior experiences gave me the muscle memory to, at that moment, schedule that in my calendar, knowing that I was going to do it no matter what. And there's something to be said about conviction. Once you know that you pick a path and that's what you want to do, guess what happens? Going back to the office, more projects, more stress, more things that get in your way. But I realized also that that's just the universe telling you that you're on the right path. It's kind of testing you to see how committed you are. And so in spite of all the organized chaos that was happening at the office, I decided to enroll anyway. And over the course of the next few months, things did not get any easier. Meetings with partners, clients, colleagues. But something interesting started to happen. Where before, I would just simply use the frameworks and tactics that I had been trained to do. I started to identify clear patterns of what I was learning as a coach. Instead of just jumping to the whiteboard and writing more sticky notes trying to get the team to an outcome or facilitate a session, I started to leverage things like silence and emotional intelligence, trying to really understand the human emotions of stakeholders, clients, and colleagues that I would come in contact with. Now, I know what you may be thinking. Isn't that just empathy, Joel? Yes. However, this time was different, especially in a workshop setting where there's different types of personalities and interests and agendas. It was almost as if I could actually read between the lines, almost as if they had given me an unfair advantage. Now, I may be dating myself a little bit here, but do you remember that scene in The Matrix where Neo starts dodging bullets? <laughs> it almost felt like everything was in slow motion, as if I could see those words, actions, and motivations that UX alone could not uncover. It wasn't long before this new coaching skills that I was acquiring started to become core to my UX practice. This new sensory acuity, as is often referred to as NLP, started to shift the way that I would apply not just my design thinking skills and UX strategies, but it started to change my mindset. Now, mind you, nothing had really changed. I still had the same amount of time, same projects, yet for some reason, the work seemed more aligned. Somewhere in this journey, a switch had been flipped. How do I know this? The results started speaking for themselves. I realized that for me to be successful, I had to get beyond just managing some of these projects, and sometimes not even that, to really starting to make an impact, making a shift from an expert to that of a coach. So why am I sharing this with you? Why does it even matter? 
there's certain things that we as creative professionals realize that we were just not taught along the way. And it's not our fault. And if you're listening to this and you're wondering, you know, do I need to go into the whole coaching path or do I need to do something else with my career on top of everything else that I'm doing? That's not at all what I'm saying. The reason I share that with you is that we need to realize that sometimes the frameworks and strategies that we're taught fail at one main component. They're geared towards delivering an outcome, but there's very few practices that deal with the social dynamics within a team and more importantly, how those translate into business or how those translates into your career path and how you're able to deal with that in a way that it's genuine to who you are. I had to go in the path of coaching and personal development. You may find a different path. You may have your own gifts and you may have a different way of aligning some of these other interests outside of your career and bring that back into the truest expression of not only who you are, but how you can influence other in your career path. So I know I've gone a little long here, but I want to leave you with some practical advice you can put into use. And that starts from shifting that focus from not just looking at the problem that you're trying to solve for your client, for your business, for your colleagues, but shifting that into the people that you want to help. And I'm not talking about just the end user or all these external factors and research that we do so well. What is the social dynamic at play in a meeting, in a boardroom, or more importantly, with yourself? And I realize that this may not be easy. But one thing that can be really helpful in your process is just leveraging this amazing power that we have called silence. Seeking to really understand what is happening at the emotional level before we apply the skills and tactics that can help us get to an outcome. Shifting our focus to the core drivers that shape human emotion so that we can serve our clients and users at the highest level. I hope you found this helpful. Until next time, be well, stay safe, and remember that the most important thing that you can design is your life. I want to thank you for tuning in today. I know there's no shortage of podcasts out there, so the fact that you stayed to the end tells me that you're serious about taking your career and your life to the next level. I want to continue to add value to you, so if you like this episode, make sure to subscribe on this platform, and for more ways to connect, be sure to visit us online at UXPro to CEO. Until next time, I look forward to hearing your stories and comments so that we can bring you the right resources and support you on your journey to designing the lifestyle that you want.